lovely as well if you're joining us online. Uh, so a, a good morning to you as well. This morning we're continuing our, our current sermon series where we're looking at encountering God. Uh, so we're, we're kind of going through the Bible and looking at different people as they meet God and what they discover about who the living God is. And this morning we're in John's Gospel. So we're in John chapter 3, and we're looking at a man called Nicodemus. And uh, he went to speak to Jesus at night. I suspect that, uh, that many of you will, will know already that, uh, that I grew up in a very different place uh, than my wife, Heather. We come from, from two different worlds, really. I was uh, born and brought up on a little sheep farm just outside High Bentham, just uh, on the slopes of Burnmoor looking across at Ingleborough. And Heather was brought up in, uh, in Toronto, in Canada. So she it was brought up about a 15-minute uh, walk away from Lake Ontario, one of the Great Lakes. Uh, so I was born and brought up used to uh, roads that were never straight, uh, always small, always narrow, lots of twists and turns, surprises around every corner. And Heather was brought up on roads that were never had a corner. Uh, but uh, just kind of six-lane six highways, the 401, very close to their house in, in Toronto. And so uh, after, after we met at Cape and Ray, she went back to Canada uh, to do her studies. And then we had the challenge of how we were going to get to know each other when we were so far apart in these different worlds. Uh, and there's a couple of different ways that we, we did that. Uh, we used to write letters to each other. Imagine that. With a pen. With a pen writing it down by hand, and then put it in a post box, and weeks later, it might arrive. Um, we, uh, we did some, some emails as well, and then sometimes we would even talk on the phone. And talking on the phone wasn't as simple as it might appear. Uh, I, at the time, I was working at Cape and Ray, and uh, there was this uh, little part of, uh, in the courtyard, if you can picture Cape and Ray, if you know it, uh, which we practically called uh, the Guy's Corridor. Uh, which was a corridor of guys. Um, looking back, I love the names that we had for stuff. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a telephone on the wall that had a very long cable to it. And uh, there was kind of quite a few of us who lived in, in, in that part of, the, the, of this complex, complex being the word. And, uh, <laughs> and we would take the, the phone with a long cable and, uh, and you'd take it to your room to call, to call home because we, we, most of us were living, except me, most of us were living away, long way from home to call the folks we loved. And so you would uh, I'd get a phone card from the bookshop and then you'd find a time when you could get the phone and you'd take it into your room and then you'd call the number on the phone card and then you'd scratch the thing off the back to put in a long kind of 12, 15 digit code. Then you'd put in the country code. Then you'd call the number to get to Heather's house. And then you'd suddenly feel really nervous that the phone was ringing. Um, what if she called? What if she answered? Um, what if her dad answered? <laughs> the other problem that we had, of course, was that Canada is a little bit behind the UK, time, time zone-wise, I mean. And, uh, and so there's this five-hour time difference and so what, how it usually worked was uh, if it was kind of later at night for me and about just after tea for Heather, that was often the time that worked. And it was those late night conversations that I think changed our lives. We are looking at Nicodemus uh, this morning and we're going to look at a late night conversation that changed his life as well. 
I'm going to read the passage for us. This is the most important part of any sermon or any part of the the service as we read God's word. And so I'm going to read uh, John chapter 3. And I'll read the first 21 verses. You feel free to follow along or to listen if you would prefer. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, but you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. There is, uh, there's certainly lots in these verses. And I just want to, to pick out three things for us to notice together this morning. And they're all about uh, who is this God? Who is this Jesus who we're encountering? The first thing to notice is this. Jesus is available. Jesus is available. Our passage centers around a man called Nicodemus who takes the initiative to come to Jesus and he comes and speaks to him at night. Now now it might seem that that's just a, a small detail to us but I think there's real significance in this. One of the reasons I think that is that we'll, we'll meet Nicodemus again a couple of times as we go through John's gospel in chapter 7 and in chapter 19 
And, and, and in the chapter 19, as we hear about Nicodemus, we hear about him as the one who came to Jesus at night. So this is how he's known. There's something significant about that. There's something important about that. And in chapter 19, we read about him because he's taken the body of Jesus down from the cross with Joseph of Arimathea to put it in the grave before his resurrection. Now, just, just think about that for a moment. Think about his, his role in, the, in God's big plan of redemption, that he's entrusted with the body of Jesus to take it from the cross to the grave. That it's, a, it's a significant part of the story. So I think we, we probably get a sense of how he responds to Jesus here. But he's known as the one who goes to visit Jesus at night. So, so why might that be important? Well, we'll just take a moment or two just to, to kind of get familiar with some of the clues in the text which might help us out. Who is Nicodemus? Well, we don't have to look far before we find the answer. In verse 1 we read, There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus is a man who is relatively powerful and influential. He's a Pharisee, and that means that he is somebody who, who takes the law, takes the Old Testament very seriously. They see themselves as sort of guardians of the truth, and they, they live their lives to, to understand, to obey, and to, to help others understand the Old Testament, to understand particularly the law. Now, if we've, if we've journeyed in church for a while and we've read through the New Testament, we'll see that Jesus often has problems with Pharisees. They, they cause him a lot of trouble. In fact, they'll play a key role in having him persecuted and having him crucified. And that's because a lot of the Pharisees, there was a sense of hypocrisy. There was a, a sense that what they spoke wasn't matching their inner reality. But but just put on put to one side for a moment the problems that the Pharisees as a group brought and recognize that Nicodemus as a Pharisee is somebody who takes the Old Testament very seriously, somebody who who studies, somebody who learned, who's learned, who's intelligent, somebody with influence, somebody who has a significant role in his nation. He's, he's part of the Jewish ruling council, which means he's part of the Sanhedrin, which is the, the highest court in, in, uh, in, uh, of, of the people of of, uh, of the Jews at the time, uh, ruled by the Romans, of course, but this was the highest uh, place that a Jewish man could, could be. So he's a man of influence. Jesus calls him in verse 10, you are Israel's teacher. This is a, a, knowledgeable, uh, a knowledgeable man, probably relatively rich. So here you've got somebody who, who has all this going on in his life and he encounters Jesus. And at this point in John's gospel, Jesus has, has arrived. Jesus is God's rescuer. He's the one who's come to save the people. And even though we're only at the start of chapter 3, we're starting to get a sense of what Jesus is about, what Jesus has come to do. So in, in, in John chapter 2, Jesus has turned the water into wine at this, at this wedding in Cana. And, and so without going into that too much... At the wedding, they were running out of wine. That was the bridegroom's responsibility. To run out of wine brought a lot of shame for him personally. And what Jesus has done is he takes his shame and turns it into joy. This is one of the things that Jesus has come to do. To take our shame, to deal with it and turn, turn us into joyful people. 
Then we read from verse 13 that Jesus has cleared the temple. And so the temple was a place where people went to encounter God. We went a place where people went to pray, a place where people went to sacrifice so that their, their sins might be forgiven. But what has happened is it's been kind of changed and warped a little bit as people have seen there's a real money-making opportunity here. If we, you know, with, with kind of changing of money and, and selling the sacrifices, and Jesus has, has cleared the temple because he's about authenticity, he's about clearing the deck so that you can actually connect with God. And so this, we're starting to get a sense of who Jesus is. And at the end of chapter 2, Verse 23, we read, Now while he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw his signs that he was performing and believed in his name. So here we have it. Jesus has come bringing authenticity, wanting to open the way that people can connect to the living God, to bring, to take away shame and to, to, to bring in joy. And he's meeting Nicodemus, one of the, the kind of highest uh, teachers of the time. And there's this, this fascinating interchange that the two have. Nicodemus takes quite a risk in coming to Jesus. Lots of the people around him, his peers, the Pharisees, uh, will soon start to say of Jesus, all these things that he's doing is doing by the power of the devil. They're, they're, they're claiming that Jesus, who is holiness, who is righteousness, who is God, and they're saying he is of the enemy. So, so Nicodemus has taken a real, uh, he's been really courageous here. And he, and he comes at night, possibly to hide it from the other Pharisees, possibly to kind of hide it from other people, or possibly just so that he can talk, possibly just so that he can have time together. But for, for whatever the reason, what I want to recognize is that Jesus makes himself available. Jesus makes himself available to talk. Nicodemus is seeking and Jesus makes sure that he's found. He finds him at night for this conversation. I wonder how many times in our own lives we cry out to Jesus at night. I wonder how many times it's when it's in the darkness. When there aren't lots of other people around. When life seems much more difficult. When, when stuff kicks off. In the night and we cry out to Jesus and we cry out to a Jesus who is found, who makes himself available. When we seek, he makes sure that he is found. And Jesus uh, makes himself available to Nicodemus in this uh, in this time where he's, he's seeking and wondering what is going on uh, and wants to spend some time with him. Jesus is available Secondly, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. I think that the, the, the uh, interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus is, is really interesting for, for a number of reasons. But w one of the reasons is that Nicodemus, after taking all this effort to get to Jesus, doesn't seem to contribute much to their discussion. He, he says very little. Verse 2, he comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi. It's a good start. It gives him the kind of a respectful, honoring title, teacher. We know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And after this, Jesus goes straight and says, starts talking about how you need to be born again. Well, that seems a jump, Jesus. He hasn't asked you a question yet. 
He hasn't said anything. He's just, he's just recognized that you're from God. And Jesus goes straight in with, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And then Nicodemus kind of drifts out of the conversation. We only hear from him twice more in verse 4 when he says, how can someone be born again when they're old? And then again in verse 9, how can this be? Jesus really takes over the conversation. And, and I think there's a couple of things going on here. One, I think, as John records this for us, he very intentionally, I think, is fades Nicodemus down, kind of tones him down a little bit. Because what Jesus says is of such importance, it's really, really important that we as the reader uh, answer the question for ourselves. We don't want to get distracted in what, how Nicodemus responds. It's how are we going to respond? If we want to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Now, we get from the rest of John's gospel a fairly strong sense of how Nicodemus does respond. But that's not for today. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He calls him rabbi. He, he recognizes that he's from God. And it's almost as if Nicodemus doesn't know what to say next. He, he can't formulate his question. He's, he's, he's thinking about it. He's drawn to Jesus, but he's not sure what to say. And Jesus kind of takes a step for him. And says, you know, what you need to be, is to be born again. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He wants to understand. He, he, and Jesus takes a step for him. Jesus understands where he's at. And he understands where we're at. Jesus understands where we're at. One of the most troubling things in life, one of the most troubling seasons we can go through, is where we know there's lots of things going on. And we can't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Things are firing off inside. We're, we're feeling things or we're perceiving things. We're seeing the, the, the world around us and it just doesn't make sense. And we can't even sometimes, we can't even formulate our own questions. You can't even put it into words. If that is you this morning, Jesus understands. He knows and he understands. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. I don't think that would be a new phrase for Nicodemus. It's not something that he isn't familiar with. To, to be born again for, for a, a new start, something totally fresh, a fresh new start. At least one example we know of is that if people were, were not Jewish but wanted to become Jewish, they could go through a certain a certain practice where, where they would be effectively born again to take on a new identity to, to start afresh, to, 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 to kind of move to, to the Jewish faith. And so Nicodemus would have understood being born again. What would have been a surprise to him is that he needed to be born again. That, that, that's the surprise. He's Israel's teacher. He, he has gone as far as you could go as a Jewish man, as far as kind of risen through the ranks. The surprise is that he needs a new start. We all need a new start. We need a new start with the Lord because we can't do it by ourselves. We've made mistakes. We've got things wrong. We, we've fallen into sin. And the wonder is that Jesus has come to give his life that we might be born again, that we might have a fresh start with him. And that's the case whether we're really, really good, apparently, or we're really, really bad, apparently. Jesus understands. Jesus is available. Jesus understands. And thirdly and finally, Jesus 
saves. Jesus saves. We've noted Jesus' kindness in these interactions. He's stepped in to, to kind of help Nicodemus formulate where, where he's at. But Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything or, or water anything down either. He, he really gets straight to the point. And, and I love what, what Jesus does here. In, in John chapter 4, he's going to meet a woman by the well. Probably somebody at the opposite end of the social spectrum to Nicodemus. And he's going to offer her a new start as well. And he's going to talk to her about having streams of living water. And I love that Jesus connects with people where they're at. But for Nicodemus, he takes him to the Old Testament, to his home territory, to the scriptures to help him understand what this new start is about. And he references this snake in the wilderness. So let's look at that for a moment. What he's referring to there in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That incident takes place in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 21. And what's happened is the people of God, God's people have been slaves in Egypt. Slaves. They don't own their own bodies. They don't determine their own diaries. They're they're absolutely helpless. They are slaves. And God rescues them without them doing anything to achieve it for themselves. God rescues them. God brings them out of Egypt with some of the most supernatural and incredible moments in the Bible. He brings them out of Egypt and they're now on a journey towards the land that he's given them. And these people who've seen with their own eyes some of the most incredible things that human eyes have ever seen start to grumble against God. And they start to say, why didn't we go, wow, why have you brought us out into the desert to die? We wish we were back in Egypt. Really? You wish you were back in Egypt. They start complaining about the miserable food that they've got. To grumble is a dangerous thing. And, 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 and as a result of this hardness of heart, they come under God's judgment. And these venomous snakes uh, are among the people and they start to bite them and, and, and these people start to, to, um, to die, to, to suffer. And so they repent. And, and God says to Moses, there's a way that people can be saved from this poison that's in the camp. Make a bronze snake and lift it up. And if people are bitten, if they look to the bronze snake, they won't die. That might sound slightly strange for us at one, at one level. If you're going to make a bronze something to look at and you, to, to kind of be saved, surely it would be an eagle, you know, the crusher of the snake, the, the, the destroyer of the snake. Look to the one who destroys the snake. But, but it isn't. Look to the bronze snake. The people need to look at the problem. Now, the bronze snake doesn't have any poison in it, but it is lifted up. And the people, it's almost as if it's too easy for them, isn't it? You, you, you've, got, you've been bitten, you've got this poison in your system, and the way to be free from it is to look at this bronze snake, this substitute, this one who depicts the problem, and if by looking at it, you will be saved. And Jesus says, verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus, God the Son, God's chosen rescuer, has come to this earth and he'll be lifted up as he's nailed to a cross. There's no poison in Jesus, but he'll take on the poison of all mankind. He'll take on the sin 
And it's by looking at what sin has done and believing in the one who's paid the price that we have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus saves. He's the one who's come to take our sin and to pay the price for us that we might be saved. In the book of Hebrews, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ is still available for those who seek him. He's still available. He's still there. Jesus understands. He understands our questions, our longing. He understands the things that we can't understand, but we know are there. And Jesus still saves, for he's died once for all for the forgiveness of our sin. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Christy if he will uh, lead us to respond as we share communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For you did not send your Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Father, just as the Israelites looked at the, were to look at the bronze snake and it It almost seems too easy for them to be saved. For them, for for, for all the the mistakes they made. Lord, so it is that you have taken our punishment. You You have paid the price we couldn't pay. You have opened a way back to you. You've come that not to condemn the world, but to save it to deal with our shame, to bring joy, to clear the deck that we might have a way back to you, that we might know you and walk with you and love you and follow you. And Father, we pray that we might understand that afresh, respond afresh and and, and enter into this life that you have uh, uh, purchased for us at such a price. In Jesus' name, amen.